0: As always, it's great to be here with you this morning as we continue in our series, Messiah. In the first week, we started back in Palm Sunday, and I asked a question, um, what Jesus are you looking for? Then, of course, on Easter Sunday, we looked at Jesus as Savior. Last week, we looked at Jesus as Lord. And this morning, we're going to look at Jesus as Restorer. Jesus as Restorer. And when I think about the word restore or restoration, my mind immediately goes to one of those programs that you can watch where they're restoring a home. Have you ever watched one of those? And and I'm amazed if you you have the lack of gifts that I have when it comes to people uh, working on such things, I'm amazed. It seems like miracle workers when they take these old raggedy homes and restore them to these beautiful, uh, back to their original looking uh, beautiful selves. And when we look at what Christ does in the life of a person, when we look at what God is going to do and, and, and even the world in which we live, we realize that, that the restoration is, is is similar but obviously much broader in scale. That due to the fall that our enemy Satan and the flesh, which is our old self, the world, which we speak of sort of the harmful systems and, and harmful parts of our culture, do their best to damage and destroy the things that we... have view is valuable. That, that, that reality is this, that, that, that there's this destructive reality that we face each and every day when it comes to the world of flesh and the devil, and, and yet they don't get the final word. They don't get the final word. Does we hand our, our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups over to the Lord, that he does a, a restorative work We understand but due to the fall, sin, the world, the flesh, and the devil, take what what God intends for joy and peace and and turns it into sometimes sorrow and and discontentment. But there's hope. We don't have to remain in a a hopeless state that there's hope because Jesus restores. And our restoration is made possible because Christ has redeemed us. And that word redeemed that we see in scripture, it's a legal term. It was used often in the Roman slave trade and describes Jesus trading his life on the cross for ours. We read in Romans 6.23, For the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That those who who remain apart from Christ in sin will die both physically and spiritually, whereas those who receive Christ are assured eternal life, and, and it speaks of wages. Wages is something we work hard to earn. It says the wage of sin is death. But the free gift in that statement is those two words really are the polar opposite of wages. It doesn't speak of something we deserve. It doesn't speak of something we've worked for. It speaks of the loving work of Christ on the cross that he died in our stead. And as we place our faith in him, we are redeemed. Here it is. Jesus purchased our deliverance from bondage on the cross. He's redeemed us, and as a result, we're being restored. We discover in Vine's Dictionary of New Testament words, by giving up his sinless life sacrificially, Christ annuls or voids the power of sin that brings separation between God and the believer. When Adam sinned in the garden, when he disobeyed God and the fall occurred, what really happened was we were, we were sold into slavery of sorts. Since that time, humanity has been held hostage in, in what the scripture will call the kingdom of darkness. But the hopeless place we were in, the hopeless place we were in, Jesus penetrated with his death. And the good news is that we don't have to remain in that kingdom of darkness, that because of the cross of Jesus Christ, he's redeemed, he's ransomed us, he's set us free. In fact, we can look at it this way. What Adam did in the garden, Jesus undid on the cross. What Adam did in the garden, Jesus undid on the cross. Due to Christ's death and resurrection, those who receive him are restored to the position of their original intent and creation. That we're able to walk in relationship with God again. As Paul writes in Romans, Romans 4.25, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. Listen to it in the message, Romans 4.25. To sacrifice Jesus made us fit for God, set us right with God. And so what I want to do when we're looking at Christ's restorer, I want to look at Paul's words to the church, uh, the Colossian church. Colossians 1:13 and 14. Listen to what he writes. Jesus has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, to whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. Jesus, Jesus has rescued us. Just, just as God rescued the people of, of, of Israel out of Egypt and out of slavery, In Christ, we believers have been rescued from the dominion of darkness into what the New Testament and certainly Jesus in the Gospels describes as the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of Jesus, of God's beloved Son. And the full manifestation of God's kingdom will be established when Christ returns. And I think sometimes that's what we wrestle with. We realize we're being restored but we wonder why the work isn't done. We realize that God's church, where God's church is present, but there's supposed to be restoration even in this world in which we live, but we wonder why is it not done? Well, it's not going to be done until Jesus returns. But the work begins when we say yes to Jesus, and that's where the hope comes from. When Christ returns, God will restore everything. And I don't think... I don't think any of us would argue that it would take a pretty wild, astonishing, and breathtaking hope to overcome the trauma of the world. Ever have one of those days? One of those seasons? Yet, when we look at what God has done and what he promises of making everything right, we understand that there's hope in him. In fact, if we look at the scripture, we, we, we start at the beginning, but God created Adam and Eve, and he places them in the garden, this perfect place. They only have one prohibition, and that's not to eat of the tree of, of, of the knowledge of good and evil, and of course, Adam breaks it, he disobeys God, and sin comes into the world, and there's the fall. But even in the curse, there's a promise that he's going to restore humanity. He sets a people apart for himself, Israel, but they're not perfect either. They they constantly sort of come close to God and work work their way away from the Lord. They're they're not always faithful. And he sends prophet after prophet beginning to tell about the Messiah who's going to come. And then Jesus comes. Born in modest means, lives a perfect life, dies on the cross for our sins, resurrected for our salvation. Ascended to the Father is going to return. And we look at what, what Christ has done and we realize that, that, that the hope we have is in him and that the culmination of, of everything we read in scripture and the culmination of everything that's going to happen in human history really settles down on this one verse. Revelation 21.5 Behold, I am making all things new. Let that sink in for a minute. Behold, I am making all things new. He's gonna restore everything. He's a restorer of all things. He's 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 this understanding is a game changer. We read in Revelation 21:1, just a few verses before what I just read. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. It took me a long time in my faithful with God. To realize that there was gonna be a new earth. I didn't know that. That that, that I th- we talk much about living for eternity in heaven, and yet the reality of it is we actually live for eternity on a new earth. That God restores this earth in which we're we're living in. I mean the verse speaks of this this elemental and fatal infection of evil and cosmic disorder being taken away from God and what the scripture describes as bondage and decay and even the earth groaning in pains like childbirth for the restoration work of God, that it will happen, that the heavens will dissolve and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and that will be our resting place. A perfect place, just like the garden. (laughs) Think about it. Now when I read Revelation 21.1, one of the things that always sort of concerned me a little bit, it says, and the sea will be no more. Anyone like the ocean? I heard once a friend was telling me uh, he had heard a story when he was serving Jesus in Maui, out in Hawaii. He was in Maui. That's where he was called for like three years to serve Christ. It was such a terrible mission, but he had to do it. Someone had to be there. He was out with the surfers, and he he heard a story once of a guy who had shared this verse with a surfer, and the surfer says, well, if there's no oceans in heaven, I certainly don't want to go there. (laughs) But that verse isn't talking about no seas. It it literally is referring back to imagery earlier in the book of Revelation, and it uses this imagery of a sea of of rebellion, a sea of chaos, and a sea of danger that will be abolished. So I'm holding out hope that there's going to be beautiful oceans in the new earth. (laughs) Think about it, though. Christ has brought about our redemption and restoration. It it begins in the here and now, and we fully experience in the unforeseeable future when we spend eternity with Christ. And and again, it's important we understand it begins in the here and now. We're we're works in progress. All this is a work in progress until Jesus returns. And and it's so important we understand that. I'll hear people sometimes say, I I can't go to church because everyone there is perfect, (laughs) and I'll stand out. Why are you guys laughing? (laughs) And then I've heard other people say, well, I can't go to church because there's too many hypocrites there. And I often want to say, come and be one of them, you know? I mean, come on. The reality of it is, I don't mean that really to be mean. I'm just being honest. Really, the truth is we're not perfect yet. Right, church? But but most people in church aren't hypocrites. They're just works in progress. So if you're entering into church to find perfect people, guess what you're not going to find? But if you're coming to church to... To be with a bunch of people who are worshiping a perfect God, that's the place to be. I say this almost every week, and why? Because it's so important we understand it. I know I'm not who I'm supposed to be, but I thank God I'm not what I used to be. I'm a work in progress. And I'm thankful for that work. I'm thankful for the restorative work of God in my life. Redemption brought by Christ means deliverance and liberation for all who receive him. The believer who has been delivered and received forgiveness of their sins are being restored, and through Christ we have been presented with the opportunity to to be in this restorative relationship with God, because when Jesus died on the cross we were for, we, on the cross we were forgiven, and that forgiveness gives us access to the Father. I think it's really interesting the word that Paul uses in the Greek for for forgiveness here he could have chosen several other Greek words, but he chooses a word for forgiveness. That in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, he uses a word for forgiveness. It's never really used in the Old Testament anywhere to talk about the remission of sins. It's a word for forgiveness that speaks of the year of jubilee. Now, why does he use that word? Well, let's go back and look at what what is jubilee. What is this year of jubilee? Well, Leviticus 25.10. Listen to these words. And you shall consecrate the 50th year. And proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, when each of you shall return to his property, and each of you shall return to his clan. So, this word for forgiveness speaks of this year of jubilee. And the year of jubilee was was when everything, land, people, was restored back to their original possession. In other words, in a year of jubilee, all prisoners and captives were set free, all slaves were released. All debts were forgiven. All property was returned to its original owners. Every 50 years. Now the year of Jubilee was was the means to restore this this gift of the promised land back to its its original owners. Now why does Paul use that word that speaks of this Jubilee, this returning, this, this restoring here for forgiveness of sins? Well, here's the point. Again, there were several Greek words that Paul could have used for forgiveness, but inspired by God, he chose a specific word that carries this restoration and redemption because he wanted us to understand that the forgiveness of sins isn't just an act, it also is something that moves us into an action. That the work of Christ on the cross, this forgiveness, moves us into this restoration. I wonder this morning, are you hoping for something new? I wonder this morning, are you hoping for something new, a new new situation, a new self, a new perspective? When we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he changes everything. He changes the way we think. He changes the way that we we live. He changes the way that we understand our destiny. Listen to the Phillips translation of of Colossians 1, 11-14. As you live this new life, we pray that you'll be strengthened from God's boundless resources so that you'll find yourselves able to pass through any experience and endure it with courage. You'll be able to thank God in the midst of pain and distress because you are privileged to share the lot of those who are living in the light. For we must never forget that he rescued us from the power of darkness and reestablished us in the kingdom of his beloved Son. That is in the kingdom of light. For it is by his son alone that we have been redeemed and have had our sins forgiven. That's where the hope comes from. That's where the hope comes from. This is is God's original intent for us and we're allowed to enter into it because of what Christ did. In fact, the cross of Christ for the believer is the year of Jubilee. (laughs) Jubilee. The cross of Christ for the believers, the year of Jubilee, bringing us back to God's original intent, giving us hope for something new. Something new that begins in the here and now, and something new that will be finished when Jesus returns. So let me share with you three truths we need to know about restoration. The first is this, restoration is a gift of God. God's capacity for restoring a life is beyond our understanding, but it's not beyond our reach. And we need to understand that. We, we may not always understand it but, but, but it, but it's not beyond our reach. And we don't have to understand the, the workings of God in order to embrace them, to come to him. You know, when I watch those shows I start off with, those restoration shows, they do stuff that there's no way I would know how to do. No way at all. And you say, Craig, you're, you're overstating your, your inability to do such things. And I just want to tell you, I will build something. And if you have enough faith, you go in and stand in there. I won't go with you. I don't have that type of faith. But I watch it. But here's the thing. I don't have to understand it to appreciate it. I don't have to understand it to to, to appreciate it. I I drove here this morning in my truck. I have no clue how that thing runs. I mean, I know I put gas in it and it starts most of the time. And that's a good thing. But I don't understand all of it. But you know what? I I don't go, well, I don't understand it. I'm not going to drive it. I don't understand, I'm not going to drive it. We don't have to understand all the things of God in order to receive the gift that he has for us. We just have to believe. Secondly, restoration is a part of God's healing process for us. God's healing in our lives of our hearts and our habits and our hangups begins when we when we, when we come to Jesus and is fully realized when we see him face to face. And I think sometimes it's really hard for us as believers, especially when we're walking with Christ for, for, for some time. To explain what God has done for us. I mean, we can tell this story, but there's just parts of it that's beyond explanation. It's beyond understanding. It's, it's just Him. And we don't have to understand it all in order to embrace the healing power of God. I ask you again this morning are you looking for something new? Are you desiring healing? Are you desiring a new perspective? Thirdly, restoration is the work of God's family in cooperation with him. As God's family, and by the way, when I talk about God's family, I mean us, the church. It's us, the people of God. As God's family who have been redeemed and restored, we're given the power and privilege of reflecting Christ's love to those around us to make a difference. And so it's interesting, not only do we as Christians receive God's restorative work, we get to partner with him of bringing it into the world. The prayer that Jesus shares with the disciples, they say, teach us how to pray. And Jesus teaches them to pray what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we don't just pray it, we get to be a part of it. We get to bring a piece of of God's presence into our marriage relationships, into our homes, into our workplaces, into our schools. In in fact, every single morning I pray for us as cross ones. I pray wherever a person... sets their foot as a crosswinds person, but they would claim that place for Jesus. Whether in their home, whether they're at school, whether they're at work, whether they're walking down the mall. That we'd bring a piece of heaven with us. Now, by the way, in order for us to bring a piece of heaven with us, we got to allow God to place a piece of heaven in us. Amen, church? we got to get rid of our stinking thinking and, and allow ourselves to, See the things that God wants us to see and perceive the way that he wants us to perceive and live the way he's called us to live. Again, as a work in progress. But restoration is the work of God's family in cooperation with him. And these three truths are worth remembering. See, the reality of Christ's restorative work in our lives and the complete restoration of all things should change the way we think. It should impact the way that that we live I was thinking about this, I went back to my school days and, and I was one of those kids that when I went off to the first day of school, one of my first questions I wanted to know and it would ask my mom is, when's our first big break? <laughs> Any students like that out there? <laughs> when's our first big break? How far are we to Christmas break? How far are we to summer break? <laughs> and if I knew that break was coming, I could, I could go through school just fine. But if you had sent me off to school that first day, especially my senior year, and I didn't know graduation was on its way, I couldn't have done it. Knowing there was an end gave me hope. Church, knowing what God has in store should give us hope. What we go through on this side of paradise is temporary. But knowing that there's more gives me hope. And we can rest assured that God even now can give us that hope. You say, well, you haven't seen the new earth. Well, no, the new earth isn't a new earth yet. But I knew God is faithful to his word. I have a friend, a really good friend. We've been friends since our college days, John Baker. John Baker is a pastor outside Cleveland, Ohio. About a year and a half ago, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. The doctor gave him a horrible prognosis, but he got connected to an individual who was connected with the Cleveland Clinic and, and, and then with someone from Mayo and Mayo and the Cleveland Clinic decided we were gonna work, they were gonna work with John. And so he's in this program right now where these two great powerhouse medical centers are, are working with him with his cancer and he's, he's got some hope, but, but I've been following him as he's on this journey. And what's been interesting is he's not one of those Christians that, that's fake. I like think he's real. And sometimes he'll let me know what's going on and he'll just say, you know what? Today was a tough day. And there's no anything else. It was just a tough day. And That's okay. When he goes in for his treatments, he'll often say, hey, look, you guys are praying for me. Send me some prayers because I'm going to be sitting around for a while. <laughs> he said, I want to be useful. So he, he prays. And, but one of the things that's challenged me so much is I've watched him in this journey. Is he's come to a point where he's like, my body is God's body, <laughs> and, and he's he he a couple of times has, has said to me. He said, you know, as he's writing out his 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 messages to me, he said he says this. He says, I can't wait to get that new body. You do realize, right? Come on now, maybe you're new to all this Christian thing. You do realize we get a new body when Christ returns. I cannot wait for. That's one of my favorite promises in all of Scripture: a new body. Amen. But he's like, I want to get a new body. It's like, he's, he's, he's getting this deeper understanding of who God is and this relationship with him. And it's, it's impacting me. It's impacting those around him. And so he's like, yeah, today was a tough day, but man, I'm his. Man, I got hope in him. I don't know how this is going to end, but I know how everything ends and I'm on the winning team type of thing. Does that change our perspective? Jesus is our anchor. You say, how do you know? Hebrews 6, 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, Jesus Christ. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Of course, that inner place behind the curtain was in the temple, was the holy of holies, and no one could go but the high priests and, and certain priests that were chosen to clean it. and, and it was a, a unique place that most people were never able to enter into. But Jesus was able to enter in. In fact, when he died, the curtain that separated that holy of holies for the rest of the people was torn in two. As a way of saying that through Christ, he's our anchor. He's the one that allows us to go through all things with him. He's the anchor. And I don't know about you, but if I'm gonna live in the hope that God has for me, if I'm gonna live in this newness that He's bringing me into, if I'm gonna have that type of hope and, the, and understand that He's restoring me and all these things, it's gotta be because I'm focused on Him. Because if I focus on myself, if I focus on the world around me, things get chaotic quick. Come on, church. There's only one anchor, and it's Jesus. Jesus, our restorer, broke the barrier between God and each of us when he died, atoning for our sins, repairing our relationship with the Lord that had been broken by sin. That in Christ we find what? Acceptance and forgiveness and wholeness and restoration. And it's only found in him. Not in our strength, not in our works, but in his work, in his strength, in his power. Yes, Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Lord. But listen to me this morning, he's a restorer. He's a restorer. Are you hoping for something new? You may be sitting here this morning and saying, well, he may be able to do that for you or that person, but he could never do that for me. You don't know my situation. You don't know what I've done. I'm here to tell you, he can do it for all of us. He didn't die for perfect people. He died for the mess we are. This sacred mess, it's messy because we're a part of it and sacred because he is, amen? If you go into my office, sitting on a on a table in my office is a vase. If you came in, you may say, oh, that's, that's a nice looking vase and you may even ask the question when you look at everything else in my office, why do you have such a pretty vase and all these other things? Well, I heard about this particular type of vase years ago and I just had to have one. It's, it's, it's a raccoon style vase, a raccoon style vase. Raku is a, is a, is a way of, of firing up a vase. It's a way of making it that comes from a traditional Japanese method of, of low heat. It's low heat until it's red piping hot, the pottery. And then you take that pottery, it's red piping hot, and you put it into a container of trash. And you cover it up. And, and because it's put in that trash, the trash itself does something to the pottery. It just puts this beautiful coloring and glazing on that pottery but like you can find in no other Pottery. I shared with my sister-in-law who's an art curator. I said, have you heard of this? And of course she had. And she looked at me like, and you had it? But anyway, and I said, I really want one. And she found me one. She actually had someone who she knew who does this type of pottery. And I, and I sit it there because there's this days where I have to be reminded of what the prophet Isaiah, it's recorded in Isaiah 61.3 said. God brings beauty out of ashes. Now look at this beautiful vase, made so because of the trash that was around it. And I thought, that's a pretty cool vase, but my God's even greater. But he can take that broken life in this broken world, and he can make both new even here this morning wherever you find yourself he'll meet you where you're at he will begin that work of restoring you and you don't have to understand it all you just have to trust him so wherever you find yourself this morning would you let God meet you where you're at and take you to places you never dreamt you could go with him He's faithful. He's true. He's Savior. He's Lord. He's Restorer. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your profound love. And I say profound love because it is. It's so profound because it's loving us when we were unlovable, loving us, Lord God, when we didn't have a care in the world for you. In fact, the scripture is really clear. You died for us while we were still your enemies. That's love. You died for our sins, was resurrected for our salvation. Even in this moment, whether it's someone on this campus or someone who's online, who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior in the quietness of our heart at this very moment, they can say yes to you. You've been pursuing them. You may not realize it, but you've been pursuing them. To be restored into that relationship with you, that you paid the price. The wage, what we deserved was death, but, but you paid the price. A free gift through Jesus Christ is this life we have in you. God, I pray that you'd be with the person this morning who's seeking that hope, who is seeking that newness that they look at the hurts, the habits, the hangups in their life, and they just say, Lord, you're the only one that can make a way. You're the only one. May they trust in you. And Lord, although we don't always trust perfectly, (laughs) give us the ability to trust. Thank you for your patience with me. When I stumble for my patience, Lord God, when I say, Lord God, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Give me more of you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for meeting with us in this time of gathering. As we scatter, would we be a restorative agent in the places where we find ourselves? We bring a piece of heaven into our homes, a piece of heaven into our schools, a piece of heaven into our workplaces, a piece of heaven as many head out to Wegmans this afternoon. That people will know the hope we have in you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for loving us so much. In Jesus' name, amen.